On this show, they cover the biggest news stories, give their fact-based opinions, and interview many great people from all over the fruited plains. These stories and experiences are what make up the fabric of this great country. This isn't just any show. This is the Matt and Chan Show. Now, live from Fresno, California, here are your hosts, Matt and Chan. And welcome back to the Matt and Chan Show. Thank you all so much for joining us today. Today's going to be a little bit different episode in a couple of ways. Number one, Matt's not here. I'm running the show solo today. Um, We had some scheduling conflicts, and normally he's the one who uh, will record the show solo when that happens, but today we thought it'd be fun, mix it up. Um, So you guys are going to be hearing just from uh, from Chan today. Uh, And then number two, uh, we're not going to talk much politics. So last episode we did, uh, we introduced a series on leadership, and today we're going to be continuing that. Um, I hope you'll enjoy the break from the news cycle. You know, we had a, a debate last night, and and like it, it's important to talk about for sure. But uh, we thought it would be more important to spend some time talking about leadership, and uh, today talking about one of my favorite leaders, author, speaker, podcaster, Jocko Willink. So I have in front of me one of Jocko's books, Extreme Ownership. How U.S. Navy SEALs Lead and Win that he co-wrote with Leif Babin. Um, and so we're going to be diving in a little bit to that book. Uh, going to be talking about, yeah, generally Jocko's approach to leadership, maybe some things that you can apply to your life. Uh, I might try to use some political examples uh, throughout this discussion. But yeah, generally this is an apolitical podcast for today. And we're going to be talking about Jocko's approach to leadership. So without further ado, let's jump in. So what does Jocko think about leadership? What is his approach to it? Number one, I have his book in front of me, Extreme Ownership. I think that's what it all comes down to for him. So uh, leadership is about owning the process, owning your um, role as a leader. So uh, the book opens up with a really uh, captivating introduction about um, about owning your mistakes. Uh, there's this friendly fire incident in the Middle East, and and I won't. I'll try not to spoil anything in the book. If you haven't read it, there's some really great stories that I could not tell as well as Jocko and Leif tell them. Um, so I will give you the gist though of some things. So there's this uh, this friendly fire incident. Um, friendly. Indigenous troops are um, are killed. U.S. soldiers are wounded. Very messy situation. And the one in charge of this uh, this operation was none other than Jocko. He was a, a Navy SEAL commander, and he thought about what he had to do in that situation. Obviously, he could have pointed the finger to any number of people, somebody who miscommunicated something, somebody who moved outside of their area of operation, somebody who was shooting outside of their field of fire. Um, And at the end of the day, he came to the conclusion that nobody was to blame except for himself. Uh, Let me see if I could give it to you in his words. Um, One second here. I don't have this perfectly laid out Um, 
Well, anyways, what Jocko had to say is that he took ownership. He stood in front of his superior officers and he asked them, whose fault is this? And um, a number of his men interjected and he said, sir, it's my fault. I didn't do this right. Sir, it's my fault. I should have done this better. Um, and he, he told them that on the contrary, it was it was his fault um, as the leader in that situation that things had took a, a, a bad turn. And I think there's a lot of value in that as a leader. When you are leading a team and something goes wrong, you have to look intrinsically and, and say, what did I do as a leader for my team to not be succeeding right now? Um, maybe you should have communicated something more clearly. Maybe um, you didn't give the best direction to begin with. Maybe maybe it wasn't just that you didn't express your plan well. Maybe it was a bad plan to begin with. Um, a question that Jocko gets asked a lot on the podcast when uh, he does like Q and A's is, um, "What do I do when I do everything right and my team still fails?" Well, you probably didn't do everything right, he would say. So, um, if, if that is the situation, like you gave good instructions. You gave them clearly, uh, and then they don't follow up. Whoever uh, you know, whoever you're leading, doesn't follow up on um, your direction. You have to look at a few things. Maybe you need to explain the intent of what you're doing better. So, uh, I'll give some examples. I'm I'm currently a cross country coach, and when I have my team do something, um, and I, I won't give any more details about what's going on that. Uh, other than some sort of vague things, um, when I ask my team to do something and they do it poorly, I could look at them and think, oh, they're all you know a bunch of lazy kids and um, there's no real hope for it anyways. And obviously, I'm a perfect coach and uh, it must all be their fault. Or, and, and I've learned this from Jocko, I can look and say, hey, maybe they don't understand why they're doing this well enough. And so if I explain a workout to them and say, hey, this is going to help you get to where you want to be. Um, it's going to help you develop this aspect of your fitness. And then um, in a few months time, if you're diligent, you'll be able to reach your, your short-term goals. So stuff like that, giving people the reasons why they do what they do uh, is absolutely critical. And, and that's one thing that you can take ownership of as a leader. Um, and certainly when things go wrong and they are your fault, the temptation is to say, I'm going to take ownership of this. Um, and, and you say those words and you, you tell people, yeah, I'm taking extreme ownership of this, just like Jocko taught me. Um, and then when it comes down to it, you don't do anything to make the situation better. So you, you say the words, yeah, I take ownership of this problem. And then you treat the problem like, um, it was everybody's fault except your own in terms of your actual actions. Um, that's no good. Your your words only carry you so far. Your actions mean a lot more than that. Um, so you can't just say the magic words, extreme ownership, uh, when you're a leader. Like, situation goes bad. Say you're, you're working in some sort of manufacturing situation and you're a, a shift manager and, like, a whole batch comes out not as it should be. And you go, well, guys, I take ownership of this. Um, and you say that in front of your bosses. And then you go and you chew out all of your uh, subordinates and 
uh, tell them what a bunch of like miserable chaps they are and um, and never take any responsibility yourself in your behavior. You never change anything about the way th- uh, the company is run. Um, that's not ownership. Ownership is saying, here's the problem. Uh, here's what I've done wrong in the past. And here's how I'm fixing what I'm doing moving forward. So that's a bit on extreme ownership, um, which, like I said, is a, a critical element Um I'm going to to move on. I'm not just going to go chapter by chapter, but I am going to move to chapter two. That was chapter one of Jocko's book, Extreme Ownership. Um, In chapter two, uh, it's called No Bad Teams, Only Bad Leaders. Um, And this is a chapter uh, by primarily by Leif Babin. And uh, he's talking about this time when they were at BUDS, which is basically SEAL training. It's the... the, um, it's the the entrance exam to the SEALs, uh, more or less. Uh, at least that's how I understand it from a, a civilian's point of view. You have to get through uh, this basic underwater demolition SEAL training uh, in order to become a, a U.S. Navy SEAL. So um, let me let me see if I can jump into a spot where you have enough of a. Uh, um, a context. I think this is good. So this is from the book. The Bud students were grouped into teams, boat crews of seven men, established by height. Each seven men, seven man boat crew was assigned an IBS, inflatable boat, small. An IBS was small by U.S. Navy terms, but awfully large and heavy when carried by hand. These large rubber boats, black with A painted yellow rim weighed nearly 200 pounds and became heavier still when filled with water and sand. A relic from the Navy Frogmen, underwater demolition team, days of World War II, the dreaded boats had to be awkwardly carried everywhere, usually upon the heads of the seven boat crew members struggling underneath. On land, the boat crew... The boat crews carried them up and over 20 feet high sand berms and ran with them for miles along the beach. They carried them on the hard asphalt streets back and forth across the naval amphibious base Coronado, trying to keep up with instructors leading the way. The boat crews even pushed, pulled, squeezed, and muscled the unwieldy boats through the ropes and over the telephone poles and walls of the notorious Bud's obstacle course. So you get the idea. They're carrying these heavy boats, and uh, they're they're carrying them everywhere, and they're broken into these boat crew teams. So um, this is going to go in a little bit more about what the leaders were like on those boat crew teams. In each boat crew, this is back to the book. In each boat crew, the senior ranking man served as boat crew leader, responsible for receiving orders from the instructors and briefing, directing, and leading the other six members of the boat crew. The boat crew leader bore responsibility for the performance of his boat crew, and while each member of the boat crew had to perform, the boat crew leader, by his very position as leader, received the most scrutiny from the instructor staff. So, you get the idea, there's these leaders, and uh, and they have all eyes on them. Uh, And what you end up seeing is that there's these, uh, in, in this particular year, this particular session of BUDS, uh, there's this one very successful boat crew, um, and that was boat crew six. Um, sorry, 
Boat Crew 2 was exceptionally good, and Boat Crew 6 was exceptionally bad. Um, and it's going to come down to leadership. So I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. Um, and, well, f first, uh, a bit from the, the criticism. This is back to the book. Boat Crew 6, you better start putting out, blared a SEAL instructor through his megaphone. Extra attention from the instructor staff had serious consequences. Our SEAL instructors were all over Boat Crew 6, dishing out punishment for their poor performance. So you can see, not good to be in Boat Crew 6. Um, and this is what one of uh, the instructors had to say um, in order to, uh, to see where the problem lays. Um, this is to the book. Let's swap out the boat crew leaders from the best and worst crews and see what happened, said Senior Chief. All other controls would remain the same. Heavy and awkward boats, manned by the same exhausted crews, cold water, gritty and chafing sand, wearied men competing in challenging races. Only a single individual, the leader, would change. Could it make any difference, I wondered? The plan was quickly relayed to the other SEAL instructors. Boat crew leaders from boat crews 2 and 6 report, blared the SEAL instructors through the megaphone. The boat crew leaders ran over and stood at attention. You two will swap positions and take charge of the other's boat crew. Boat crew 6 leader, you are now in charge of boat crew 2. Boat crew 2 leader, you are now in charge of boat crew 6. Got it, said the SEAL instructor. The boat crew leader from boat crew 2 was clearly not happy. I'm sure he hated to leave the team he had built and knew well. No doubt he was proud of their dominant performance. The new assignment to take charge of a poorly performing boat crew would be difficult and could potentially invite unwanted attention from the SEAL instructors. Still, he dared not try to argue the point with the instructor. With no choice, he accepted the challenging assignment with a look of determination. And then it went on to say that, that Boat Crew 6's leader, he was pretty happy about that, no doubt, going from a poorly performing team that he assumed was the team's fault and not his own, um, and uh, getting to take over, so to speak, the best performing team. Um, and so they have their first competition of sorts back, and um, surprisingly, Boat Crew 6, the underperforming boat crew with the new um, leader, wins this next competition. Um, and that's a rather remarkable turnaround, going from routinely last now to first. Um, and so this, the title of this chapter is that there's no bad teams, only bad leaders. Um, and I think that's right. And I, I think so. Maybe I will talk a little bit about politics right here. This is a good um, opportunity, not in any specific terms. But um, when you have a, a vocal member of a party, right, somebody who's um, like clearly uh, calling a lot of shots for a party. Um, we've seen this in the Democrats at various times. You know, it's been people like Nancy Pelosi or um, AOC, um, or if you go further back, you know, President Obama, um, Bernie Sanders at times. Uh, so, you know, there's these people who become clear leaders uh, in their, uh, their parties. Obviously, right now in the, the Republican Party, the, the leader, love him or hate him, is President Trump. And uh, a lot of, you know, what he says goes in terms of uh, Republican thought and policy making um, when it aligns with 
uh, you know, uh, normal, like orthodox uh, conservatism for the most part. So anyway, I say that to say that um, the who you have in charge of your political party, who you, you choose to let be in charge of your political party, has a lot of influence. Um, and when you are working with a, a group or a team, uh, whether you're um, have a, a leadership role uh, as like a, a shift manager somewhere or in student government or you own a company or whatever leadership role um, at your church, at your um, a place where you serve, um, wherever kind of leadership role you have. Um, and we talked a bit about leadership roles last week uh, and, and how you could kind of lead from, uh, from all over, um, or, or sorry, the week before last. Um, but so wherever you're leading, if the people who you're leading are performing poorly, you should take a deep, hard look at yourself. Um, because there's a good chance that if you upped your game in leadership, if you were a better leader, the team would be performing at a higher level. Um, if, if you, there really is a problem in the performance. So that no bad teams, only bad leaders concept, I think holds true um, and, and the the inverse is also true. Like a good leader, um, even over a, a team that's underqualified, underskilled, um, can bring about some really good change. Uh, you see that in sports happen a lot. Like a team goes from having a, a pretty poor, uh, you know, losing record, and then say it's a football team gets a new quarterback or a new head coach. And all of a sudden, they're playing completely different in the next season because uh, they have some good, strong leadership. Um, and that's uh, that's a really valuable lesson to keep in mind. So I'm not going to spend any more time on that. Uh, next, we're going to jump to uh, the fourth chapter of this Extreme Ownership book, and that's Check the Ego. So Jocko talks a ton about keeping your ego in check. Um, and that's something... I think that's something that if you're coming at this from a, a faith perspective, if you're um, a Christian or, or some other religion, humility is uh, is almost always seen as a virtue. You know, humility, meekness, um, and meekness being, I, I really like how uh, psychologist Dr. Jordan Peterson put it, it's um, those who have swords and know how to use them, but keep them in their sheaths. Um, that's somebody who's being meek. So, powerful but not um not always expressing that power um and and obviously humility not not trying to put yourself above other people um and and both of those things your ego will push against your ego wants to push you in front of everybody else your ego wants to show off what kind of power and prestige you hold um what kind of uh, wealth you possess whether that's material wealth or wealth of knowledge um and so it's really important to put that into uh, into check, as Jocko would say. Um, and I I don't think there's any arguing against that. When you see leaders who have too much pride, it's always their downfall. Um, and I think you you have to be really cautious with yourself when you are um, in a leadership role, especially like a a defined leadership role where like you're the go-to guy, everybody comes to you as a leader, it's very easy to let that get to your head. Um, I, I've certainly been guilty of this myself. Like you get put in a, a role where you have some sway, have some leadership, uh, and then 
the next thing you know, um, you're, you know, considering yourself like the boss of everybody else. I, I was just talking with a friend about the Stanford prison experiment. I guess it was on uh, Netflix for a really long time. I hadn't watched it, but um, watched the trailer and seems kind of freaky. Uh, but uh, I would recommend going and checking it out for yourself if, uh, if what I'm saying sounds interesting to you. But basically took a bunch of college students um, at Stanford, and this was in like the late 60s, early 70s. And uh, this researcher assigned some of them to be uh, prisoners and some of them to be prison guards in this week-long experiment. Um, and so they, they basically stayed and um, they served as, in their roles. And like these are all normal college students. Um, but the ones who were given the roles of prison guards um, let their egos get out of check and, and they behave very abusively and um, quite terribly to the uh, students who had done nothing wrong and were assigned as, uh, as prisoners. Um, and that, that's quite an interesting case study into what an out-of-check ego uh, can do. Um, but more than just that, you know, like if you're running a company and you want to be the one calling all of the shots and you want to be seen as the, the head guy who's made this company so successful, the Elon Musk or the Steve Jobs uh, of your company, um, it can get in the way of the actual success. You might be doing something that will make you a little more famous or uh, boost your um, your popularity or your self, uh, self-worth uh, if you let it. And the next thing you know, your company is not succeeding in the same way that it could be. So keeping your ego in check, that's a big one. That's really central to Jocko's leadership philosophy. I'm going to move on to the next, uh, the next topic here. And that's going to be cover and move. Um, so this is, if if you have the book Extreme Ownership or are thinking about buying it and reading it after this, uh, that's chapter five out of this book. And um, let's see a bit of, we'll, we'll go to the book again uh, for this part. And so this is actually Leif, uh, Leif Babin's story again. Um, and uh, I'll find a good spot to, to bring us into the story. I think I might skip to... Um, his his principal section. So uh, this is what he has to say about cover and move. Cover and move is the most fundamental tactic, perhaps the only tactic. Put simply, cover and move means teamwork. All elements within the greater team are crucial and must work together to accomplish the mission, mutually supporting one another for that singular purpose. Departments and groups within the team must break down silos, depend on each other, and understand who depends on them. If they forsake this principle and operate independently or work against each other, the results can be catastrophic to the overall team's performance. Within any team, there are divisions that arise. Often when these smaller teams within the team get so focused on their immediate tasks they forget about what the others are doing or how they depend on other teams. They may start to compete with one another, and when there are obstacles, animosity and blame develops. So, like he opened with, cover and move basically means teamwork, and I think that little section there does a good job breaking it down. 
all the time, if you listen to Jocko's podcast, he'll point out, oh, that's cover and move right there when, you know, uh, one person is willing to, uh, to support uh, another person or one group is willing to support another group. Uh, the military provides a good example of this, uh, especially when different branches of the military will work together. Um, and, and sometimes branches that don't have like the, the best opinions of, of the other branch. Um, think of like uh, the Navy and the Army uh, doing something cooperatively. Uh, at, at times it does seem like there's some like animosity and some like one-upsmanship uh, between those uh, groups. Uh, but when you think about who uh, the, the real enemy is, and you know, in, in a war, obviously the enemy is the enemy, the, the people that you're fighting against, um, it's, when you keep that in mind, it's much easier to practice good teamwork, practice good cover and move. Um, I'm trying to think of some like day-to-day examples or maybe some political examples. A, a great broad political principle uh, that's an example of cover and move is um, when different factions of a group or, or different factions within a country form a coalition um, to support a candidate. Um, and, you know, in the U.S., I think we have this uh, to a pretty strong degree, different demographic coalitions. Uh, you talk about like suburban college educated women or um, Hispanic working class um, voters or, you know, you know, whatever. A lot of times we break it down by race in America, which I think is a, a counterproductive thing to do. I don't think that helps uh, any with our racial tensions to break down our, our um, um, groups by race. But you could break it down into religion as well. So like um, evangelical Christians is a, is a major coalition like if you're a, a presidential candidate and you win the vote of the evangelical Christians by and large um, you do pretty well at least historically so um, something like that is an example of cover and move because uh, you get these different groups with maybe even competing interests right like uh, maybe uh, one group uh, wants something completely opposite of the other group um, but you have a common vision and you pursue that common vision with some sacrifice to your own um, intent. So um, I think it, just in terms of like day-to-day leadership, it means looking to see who you can support and who will support you. Uh, I'll refer back to Jordan Peterson as well. To those who, who don't know, um, Jocko Willink and Jordan Peterson, they've actually, um, uh, Jocko has hosted Jordan Peterson on his podcast Um and they're both central figures in this concept of the intellectual dark web. Um, then Joe Rogan was kind of a part of it for a while, um, or I guess still is. I guess you would technically say Ben Shapiro is. You know, like the intellectual dark web is kind of a weird idea, but it's um, these people who are, are putting out great content, thought-provoking content, um, on primarily on um, on the internet, nothing on the dark web itself, but um, it's this dark web because it's not mainstream media. Anyway, um, I said that to say that Jordan Peterson recommends um, when you move to somewhere new, borrow something small from a neighbor. Um, that way they can ask you to borrow something in return. I think that's one of his 42 rules for life, or at least it's... Um, uh, it's 
an idea he talks about. And so this idea of reciprocity um, is a key one to cover and move. It's definitely, uh, I'm going to do something for you um, or you're going to do something for me. Not so, not just so I will do something for you or, or you will do something for me in return. Um, but so the, the greater good is accomplished. The larger goal is accomplished. If you're in a business, that might mean, um, you know, it, if you're ahead in production in one department, maybe you spare some workers to help the department that's behind in production uh, because the overall goal is putting out a good product. Or um, if you are, I, I think a good example of this is a track team, right? A, a college track team or a high school track team that's trying to win a, a national title or a conference title or a league title um, or a state title, whatever it may be. You need uh, good athletes from all the different disciplines. You need good distance runners, good sprinters, good hurdlers, good jumpers, good throwers. Um, the list goes on. I, I don't want to uh, exclude any group. Good, uh, good multis athletes, um, vaulters. You, you get the gist. Um, if if you silo yourself too much into your own group. Um, you can easily lose sight of the bigger goal of winning that team championship. Um, and when you, when you do practice good cover and move and you have support from each uh, element of the team, you can come away with a, uh, a very good and effective team result. So we'll wrap up cover and move with that. I think I'll only touch on a couple more topics. I don't want to, uh, um, spend too too long today just because uh you know it's a little different and maybe you didn't come for a leadership talk maybe you came for politics and you're you're still hanging out and uh bearing with me so i appreciate that um we're going to hit two more topics one is decentralized command and the last is discipline equals freedom so first decentralized command um i would say uh the three things Jocko touches on the most is extreme ownership, decentralized command, and discipline equals freedom. So decentralized command, in a nutshell, is putting, uh, if you're in a leadership role, giving a lot of agency to the people who are underneath you, to the leaders who are underneath you, and, and the people working um, underneath you. So this is from chapter eight of the book, um, decentralized command. And I'll read a little bit about the principle um, uh, at play here. So uh, page 169, I'm just trying to, uh, to keep things moving. So this chapter is from Jocko, um, and this is what he has to say about decentralized command. Human beings are generally not capable of managing more than six to ten people, particularly when things go sideways and inevitable contingencies arise. No one's, no one senior leader can be expected to manage dozens of individuals, much less hundreds. Teams must be broken down into manageable elements of four to five operators with a clearly designated leader. Those leaders must understand the overall mission and the ultimate goal of that mission, the commander's intent. Junior leaders must be empowered to make decisions on key tasks necessary to accomplish that mission in the most effective and efficient manner possible. 
Teams within teams are organized for maximum effectiveness for a particular mission, with leaders who have clearly delineated responsibilities. Every tactical level team leader must understand not just what to do, but why they are doing it. If frontline leaders do not understand why, they must ask their boss to clarify why. This ties in very closely with the chapter on believe. Um, I'll, I'll go ahead and stop reading the book at that point and um, talk a little bit more about what it means to practice decentralized command. <clears throat> it, I mean, he summed it up pretty well there. It is um, giving that authority and that wherewithal to people um, below you on the chain of command um, so you can effectively lead your group well and they can effectively lead their uh, their groups well and the whole um, hierarchy will benefit one uh, one thing that i've read recently and i can't remember who the quote is from so forgive me treat this as an anonymous quote i guess and it said <clears throat> good coaches coach um, bring up good athletes good coaches bring up good athletes and great coaches bring up great coaches um, and so the idea there is um, it's it's one thing to do your job um, well and and like the pa- the job on paper which is coaching athletes um, it's quite another thing and, and a far more noble thing to coach your coaches well um, and, and enable them to become better coaches. Um, so, it, you know, if you're a head coach and you have assistant coaches underneath you, um, preparing them well to be um, good coaches and allowing them to lead. Um, so this goes back to keeping your ego in check, right? If you want to be the guy calling all the shots, it's gonna you're going to have a hard time giving up some of your uh, leadership to people below you on the chain of command. Um, maybe you are a team captain and uh, you know you you've got a, a I don't know 40 person soccer team I don't know if that's about the size of soccer team seems about right to me but you know 20 to 40 person soccer team and you're a team captain there well you can't effectively lead uh, that group of people I think Jocko put it pretty well like about 10 is the limit um, I've I've seen some people lead uh, more than 10 people effectively but those are rare. And so what you got to do is you almost have to find the different leaders um, within the, the subgroups, whether it's by positions or by interests, uh, if it's like a, a multinational team, maybe by languages, um, and uh, then you, uh, you have fewer people to lead directly and um, you can entrust leadership to, uh, to the other people on the chain of command. So... That's decentralized command, and I'll, I'll say this, I think I said this earlier, but if I haven't, I'll say this now. Um, if any of this is somewhat interesting, go check out uh, some of Jocko's books or his podcast for yourself. Um, I'm not doing it justice, I'll, I'll put it that way. Um, you know, This is really great content. It's content that he spends hours and hours discussing and thinking about and writing about. And I just have, you know, 45 minutes with you guys. So uh, I I really want to, you know, get that across that I'm not doing this content justice. So if it's somewhat interesting to you, 
um, it will be really interesting coming straight from Jocko. And, and I think uh, his perspectives on leadership are really well refined. His perspectives on life are um, are very um, uh, stoic in a way. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's a message that appeals to a lot of um, a lot of people. And I would say especially uh, especially young men. Because um, it's a, a message towards uh, responsibilities and that um, you are more effective as a leader uh, when you take on responsibilities. I think that's something that our society has um, tried to take away, especially from young men. Um, uh, I, I think young women do a much better job of understanding their uh, their responsibilities and their uh, their roles and um and so, yeah, that's. I'm not saying anything to knock uh, Jocko's impact on women. I know. Uh, I know there's a lot of women who are make up his uh, um, listens on uh, on Spotify or or wherever you could find him. Uh, I listen to him on on Apple Podcasts. Um, anyway, I just wanted to give a little tangent there and shout out. Definitely check out Jocko further if uh, what I'm saying now interests you. So. The last thing I'm going to cover is discipline equals freedom. And I'm going to read uh, a little bit of this story from Jocko. Um, and I don't want to take too long, so I, maybe I won't read uh, much there. So this is, yeah, this is from the um, about the middle of this chapter, chapter 12, on discipline equals freedom. So here's the words of Jocko. While increased discipline most often results in more freedom, there are some teams that become so restricted by imposed discipline that they inhibit their leaders and team's ability to make decisions and think freely. If frontline leaders and troops executing the mission lack the ability to adapt, this becomes detrimental to the team's performance. So the balance between discipline and freedom must be found and carefully maintained. In that lies the dichotomy. Discipline, strict order, regimen, and control might appear to be the opposite of total freedom. The power to act, speak, and think without any restrictions. But in fact, discipline is the pathway to freedom. Alright, so you might be thinking, hold up Chandler, I thought you said that it's all about discipline, Jocko talks all about discipline, and you just said there that, uh, or, or Jocko just said there that um, discipline can uh, negatively impact freedom if it's uh, overimposed. Um, well, that's true, and so uh, I guess that's one other thing Jocko talks a lot about is dichotomies. There's a dichotomy there. You can have too much discipline, <clears throat> and... Uh, and, you know, that's uh, something to keep in mind. So I, I thought I'd open with that simply uh, simply because discipline is something that you can overdo. And if you listen to Jocko for any amount of time, you could get this idea that he's this um, this robotic machine of discipline. You know, what, if you look at his Instagram account, you'll see a bunch of pictures of a watch, um, like a Timex watch in black and white coloring. And you see 430, 426, 347. And, and those are the times he's waking up in the morning every day um, and, and getting a workout in or, or writing or, or doing whatever, getting after it. Um, so uh, it, it's very important. I, I think 
waking up early in the morning, this is something Jocko talks about. It's something that I try to live by as much as possible. Uh, waking up early in the morning is a great way to start a, a day of discipline. Um, and being disciplined as a leader uh, is is essential. So this goes a little bit back to extreme ownership, right? If you are disciplined with your life, um, you're going to be able to be a better leader. If you're getting enough sleep, if you are physically fit, um, if you are well read and, and you know taking the time to read books, listen to uh, thought-provoking podcasts, um, discussing with people who have more wisdom and more knowledge than yourself, all of those things um, are elements of discipline. Eating well and drinking enough water I think some of you probably need to hear that, um, that uh, part of being a good leader is taking good care of your body. Um, and so anyways, all of that is an element of like personal discipline, um, but also having good discipline amongst uh, your group. I think uh, I, I have a, a lab instructor who he will um, mess with some of the instrumentation, like, like with a stethoscope, you can turn a stethoscope to... Uh, um, the point where you can't hear uh, out of it, it's kind of like the, the off uh, switch of it. Um, and everybody will go, oh, the stethoscopes are broken, They're, mine doesn't work, whatever. Um, and so uh, that's a, an example to practice good discipline with your equipment is, is his uh, perspective there. And I think it's a great idea. If you take good care of your stuff and you know your, your things well, um, whether that's your car or... Um, the instrumentation that you work with in your job um, or the whatever whatever things are involved in your leadership role and your leadership capacity um, having good discipline with those things making sure those things are cleaned at the end of the day when they need to be um, and, and holding those people who are um, uh, in charge of those things um, holding them accountable to make sure that uh, that there is good discipline um, uh, being executed and then at the same time not being overly rigid or overly disciplined where um, yes everything's spotless but uh, nobody is willing to actually do their real job because they're too busy focusing on uh, this uh, ideal of discipline so you have to have some freedom to, to move and freedom to execute um, while maintaining a good amount of discipline. Like he said, discipline is the pathway to freedom. Discipline equals freedom. So this, I tried to do somewhat of a deep dive on, on some of uh, that. Of course, when I, when there's hundreds of hours of podcasts that Jocko's put out, and I don't even know how many books, seven, eight, nine books that he's written, um, I can't do that justice in, in 40 minutes, 45 minutes. So um, go check him out if you're interested in this topic. I think it's a really great podcast. He's a, a, a good um, person to look to in terms of leadership. Um, we're going to hopefully go into some other concepts of leadership moving forward in the show. So if you got this far, thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed this talk on leadership. Little break from the news cycle, break from politics, and... Um, hopefully something that you can take with you uh, even practiced later today um, or uh, throughout this next week um, finding ways to be a better leader in whatever leadership situations you may find yourself in and yeah without um, without going any deeper into that 
Thank you so much for listening to the Matt and Chan Show. Please give us a, um, a five-star rating. Leave a review. Um, let us know what we're doing well. Um, you could let us know uh, if there's anything you would like us to improve, topics you'd like us to cover. And until next time, this is the Matt and Chan Show.